What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Hi-Fi Hour. And today I have the esteemed pleasure of having a, you know, someone that inspired me to start the, you know, my channel and everything. Uh, I have Sean with Zero Fidelity. What's going on? What <laughs> Dude, I've, I've been trying to get you on for a long time, and I'm so glad that our, our schedules finally kind of, uh, you know, came together and, and you're here. Hey, man, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, it did take a little bit of time, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it did, but dude, um, first of all, it was finding you. That was the first That was the first quest is tracking <laughs> you down. And then once I found you, I'm like, oh, dude, you, you got to come on, you know? But uh, I, I am super excited because, like I said, I before I started uh, doing, you know, reviews and, and all this other media stuff, I was watching you and a, and a few others and that's how I would consume and my content and learn about a lot of the new products coming out. So you definitely do a service and, and now I, I mean, I hope I do a service now, but you definitely do a service to the community, to the audio community, because your content is very unbiased and I find it to be engaging and informative, you know? No, I appreciate that, man. I mean, uh, I, I usually don't know how to respond to comments like that, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, it all, you know, pretty much was just, you know, started off as a hobby and it still is. But, you know, my main goal out there is to try my best to provide something that can be reliable to people who just don't have access to this gear, but you want to make a purchasing decision. And my goal is at the end of the day, hopefully somebody runs into or has a similar experience that I reported. That's, there you go. That's the, the main way to thing, man. That's the main motivating factor. <laughs> so you started five years ago, right? Just do starting the YouTube thing. Yeah. Yeah. Been a while. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is a long time. And it's funny because we were just discussing this before the we started the stream is that five years is a long time to be doing YouTube because it, it is a lot of work, you know, yeah. uh, not only having to procure the the equipment and having to, you know, strike up relationships with different companies. So did you, are you in the industry? Did you start off in the industry or like kind of how, how did your, your, hmm. your, you know, experience come about? So that's a really good question. I, I suppose to you know, kind of go all the way back to the beginning. So my decision to upload my first YouTube video, which I think was 2015 ish, some time frame like that, uh, was purely out of the desire to actually start up my own blog but I was too lazy to start writing reviews again because I used to write for a few kind of unknown publications like in the late 2000s. And um, then I got burnt out of audio, quite frankly. I got like completely jaded, burnt out. I took a basically a five-year hiatus from it between like 2010 to 2015 when that inspiration hit again. I was like, you know what? I've been watching YouTube videos now for such a long time. It just looks like something that's cool to do. And what inspired me to start it, believe it or not, were watching videos of people who were doing like just one takes, right? So they weren't productions. It was a hobbyist talking about, I don't know, whatever it is they're interested in. And I noticed that, man, this is like a 12 minute video of somebody just having this stream of conscious thought. And I was inspired by that. I was like, God, how did they do that? <laughs> and I decided, let me see if I can try to do something like that in the audio space. And there's a bit of confidence in my ability to assess gear. So I was like, let's just, there's no goal here. It's going to be a hobby. It's just something that you do. I already looked at the business model. And at the time I was like, there's no real scalability to it. So let's just keep it a hobby. And that's kind of how it remained and even has remained because even though I've been doing it technically since 2015, 
I would say half that time I was almost entirely inactive. So I only this only really became an active channel as of around 2018-ish time frame, which is still a long time. <laughs> right, right. But uh, as far as involvement within the hi-fi industry, you know, I've along the way, I've in my journey, even as just an enthusiast before I began writing reviews, I was fortunate enough to meet some amazing people. There's a dealer out in uh, Hawaii, well, he since closed shop, but he ran a store called Hi-Fi Hawaii. His name was uh, Shane Drew. And he kind of took me under his wing. This is when I was all of like 20 or 19 years old age, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we met because I was selling some totem taboos on Audiogon. And, uh, and he just kind of took me under his wing. And this is a man that just knew so much about the, you know, hi-fi space, about products, about industry and people. And, you know, I learned a lot from him and then some other people along the way did the same thing. Cause here's this young kid who's passionate and it's almost like that natural inclination to like want to foster this interest and encourage them to stay in it. So I was very lucky in that regard. And along the way you get to meet a bunch of people. You know, you get to meet a bunch of wonderful human beings. And uh, that's how I started connecting with everybody. So when I started Zero Fidelity, I already had some connections that I could leverage to get product in. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to rely on buying it myself or doing all this crazy stuff. So that was, you know, a a huge advantage going into it. But actual involvement with the hi-fi industry, like actually getting to know a lot of retailers and manufacturers and distributors and having more of an impact on the business that didn't come until a situation literally just almost fell into my lap. I didn't go seeking it, but I ended up being given the opportunity to run U.S. distribution for a company named iFi Audio. And what I mean, I mean, and I had to almost rebuild it from scratch kind of a deal. Now, the previous distributor did a great job of establishing the foundation, but obviously when you're trying to start up a subsidiary, you got to do it all you know, from scratch, basically. So, um, and that gave me uh, experience in terms of dealing with the buyers of different retailers, reviewers, and so on and so forth. I've never had before. And everything just kind of branched off from there. So you've kind of been on both ends of the spectrum. You've Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my experience basically is on every end. I mean, it's manufacturing, product planning, product development, product design. It's on distribution, all the nuances there from the retail perspective, from marketing perspective, from every every side of the fence you can think about is something I've at least dabbled with. And so it's can- actually a lot of fun, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Can we expect uh, a zero fidelity audio brand in the future, possibly? Yeah, no, no. I've done everything I could not to make Zero Fidelity a brand or to even grow very well on YouTube, quite frankly. Um, there are some products, I'm not going to lie, that people have been asking me about for a long time. Nobody else has them on the market. I've thought about bringing them to uh, to the market. Um, well, I mean, you have the background and you have the resource. I mean, why not, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of time equity, quite frankly. This is where you start to get a little selfish. It's like, if I'm going to invest this much time and this much capital into something, how long will it take to get a return? How much work is it going to take? You know, it's all these neurotic things that I go over. Nice. (laughs) So I've been kind of keeping tabs on on your videos. Obviously, I I watch you regularly. Um, We both have recently um, reviewed the KEF LS50 Metas. Uh, what is yeah. your opinion? What is your opinion about it? <laughs> I'm curious. Um, you know, that the latest review I posted was very honest, especially towards the end. 
Mm-hmm. Like there was no sugarcoating. Like the conversation that I had with the camera or the crowd was the very same that I had with people, you know, off camera. And I'm trying to adopt that a lot more recently. I came into it with the expectation that I was going to borderline hate the speakers because I was never a fan of the original LS50 on a personal and subjective level. Okay. Respected the product all day long, respect the company all day long. No hate for the people who love it, right? I mean, I totally get it. It's popular for a reason. So when Kef announced the meta and I looked at it, the same driver, same cabinet, same general configuration, just with this, you know, the meta material, which basically is tech that's existed for decades now. I hate the rain on their parade. And I didn't, that's the one thing I didn't do in the video. Mm -hmm. Like this tech is nothing new. It's been used in different uh, industries again, since like the (laughs) seventies. So, but still it's effective. It works. I'm glad to see him going in that direction. And they did a little bit with the unit I'm short of the details there. And I thought, okay, it's probably going to be a little bit better, but it's probably going to be just straight up the LS 50 with some very minor changes. And when you listen to it though, yes, it's an LS 50. You recognize it right away. Yeah. That's, that's an LS 50 sound, but it was the lack of distortion in the upper mid range, which created that kind of beamy effect Mm-hmm. And that smoother treble, at least to my ears and to my experience, which I believe engineering co-signed on. But nonetheless, um, it was that that made to me the biggest impact on my listening experience and personal connection with that speaker. It changed it from something that was very polarizing to something that still not everyone's going to love it, but it's a lot more well-rounded and I think better reciprocates different types of electronics and music. So that's my take. What about yours, man? (laughs) Well, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I thought the mids and highs were very impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. I had never listened to the LS 50, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. However, the only other Kef product I had ever listened to was the Q350, which -hmm. is their, you know, their entry level, you know, um, bookshelf stand mount. Um, well, I felt it was lacking in a lot in bass. But then when they introduced their subwoofer, now that made sense to me. I'm like, okay, they, I don't know if they, they pulled a fast one and said, okay, let's just leave the base off a little bit because we want to sell these subwoofers or what. But yeah, I felt that the base just wasn't there for me. And not that I really want a super bassy speaker, but I felt like there was hardly any, uh, hardly no low end to it, you know, Mm. but, but the clarity was good. The clarity was very good. Yeah. Um, Like I said, it was my first experience with it. Um, Was I... It's like blown away. Not really, you know, not really. Yeah. I, I, you know, in comparison to other, you know, uh, products, maybe even, you know, less expensive than that, I, I would probably go with another speaker, but, and I sure. hope, hope to God Kep's not, Kep isn't watching right now. But. Dude, if they send me something after all the things I've said about them, you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but no, they, they've been really cool. They actually sent me a, a, some, some, some chocolates and I'm like, oh, I, what? I bashed your low end and you send me chocolates. That's, they what? sent Andrew Robinson chocolates too. I'm surprised you didn't. What? Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Yo, I'm going to make a call after we're done. <laughs> yeah, dude. They sent chocolates, bro. Truffles. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I guess you, you didn't hate my review, but, uh, but no, you know, it's, uh, Kef's a good company. It's just, like you said, it has that particular sound that people either they love it or they don't, you know, kind of like Klipsch, either you love it or you don't, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you can't really, I don't know. You can't really learn. You can't really learn to love. I mean, you just got to like right off the bat, you either like that horn sound or you don't. Um, 
So talking about, you know, um, let's talk about affordable hi-fi a little bit. In your experience, if someone is getting into the ecosystem of, of, of hi-fi audio, what would be a good starting point for them if they're looking to spend under like under a thousand dollars? I guess that would be reasonable to say on uh, a beginner setup. What would you what would be your uh, your opinion for that? Well, you know, I actually made a video about my favorite. I called it the affordable ish two channel hi fi setup. Right. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with recommending anything to anybody, right, is you don't have a complete firm understanding as to their living situation, their taste, the kind of music you listen to, what's their listening habits like. I mean, there's so many different variables at play that make it difficult for somebody in my position to give recommendations that are going to have a broad appeal. So what I try to do is the following. When it comes to making a broad recommendation on speakers, I try to stick with something that's easy to work with, number one, You don't need a degree in order to understand how to position it within a room, friendly with different types of components, and something that has voicing that to me is in between both extremes that tend to exist in the audiophile world. For example, you have warm and smooth sounding speakers, super easy to listen to over long periods of time, but products that are voiced this way can sound a little bit, let's call it what it is. To some people, it's just boring. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to listen to, but there's no life to the music. That's how some people feel. And then you go the other direction, right? You have something that's more in your face. The sound projects in more of a forward way, right? It makes it sound like somebody may be right there in your living space. However, to make that happen, a lot of the times it can sound fatiguing. Mm-hmm. Maybe just too much of a good thing. Maybe it's just too lively and high, ener- high energy at all times. So to some people, it's like, yeah, I get the appeal, but either it sounds amazing at first and then you get tired of it over time or maybe just right up front you hate the sound because it's just too aggressive to you, too aggressive to your ears. So I like something that's kind of in between because how you react to a product that's in between both of those points will inform the direction you may go in in the future. Mm -hmm. I like this product, but maybe it's a little bit too energetic for my taste. Maybe next time around to go something a little smoother or eh, I don't know if it's energetic enough. Maybe I'll go for something that has even more of what this has to offer. So that's why, you know, uh, was it a year and a half ago almost I created this, I think it was my third rave review I ever posted at Zero Fidelity and that was the Triangle Bro 3. Hmm. It was my last rave review. And, uh, And the reason why I like that speaker is because it did just that. Now, it does have a lively sound to it, to be fair. It does. But it checks off most of those boxes. Looks good. The price is adequate, et cetera, et cetera. So I went with those speakers because they're in the middle ground. And then I went with the IOTA VXSA3 integrated amplifier because it compared to just about everything I've heard so far in that exact price category. used to be $500. I think now it's $550. Um, that integrated amplifier is probably the most neutral, the best balanced. Not everyone's going to love it, of course, right? But when I look at the feature set, I look at its, you know, reliability, the history of its reliability so far, which isn't perfect, but it's actually really, really, really good. And the adequate power, the fact that you can easily add a matching power ramp for like 300 bucks if you want to. I was like, you know what? When you put the two together, they complement each other well. And I think it's just such a good starting point. And the great news is so many people have bought that combination and I've yet to hear one person who doesn't care for it, you know, especially if they're coming from like next to nothing. And this is their first genuine high quality stereo system. So that's the one I will still stick with. Although I don't mind saying 
there is a company, and I'm under NDA. I can't, I want to mention it so bad, but they released something I feel is absolutely a challenge to the triangles as far as value for the money is concerned and having a wide appeal. I actually think it'll have more of an appeal, quite frankly. Now, now you I have personally it. like it. I personally like them better. Now you have everybody, including myself, salivating, wanting to know <laughs> what, 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 what this is. Is there a point in time that you're going to release that information? Yes, yes. Well, it's going to be two weeks from now. Okay. But that was pushed back another week. So it's not till like end of March. Okay. So what I'll do, definitely what I'll do is put in, your, in the description below, I'm going to put, put all your information. I'll put a link to that video of the triangles. So that way people can, can kind of get a feel for, um, you know, that setup and, and, and what to expect. Uh, what is the price range for the triangles uh, match with that amplifier you were, you were it's talking about? It's a little bit above what you're saying. So I'm cheating. Okay. It's uh, I think it's five fifty for the triangles, unless you want to get them used. I think Adorama, for example, has them for like $350, basically new in box, just returned. That's so if you want to really play the game, you know, like, you could kind of go that route, <laughs> but new they're about $550. And then IOTA VX is around 500 to 550. They do a literal translation from uh, USD to was it pound sterling? I think it is. So hmm. it fluctuates. Sure. But I cheated a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a problem. Um, curious though. What is the highest end um, piece of equipment you've ever reviewed or ever had the chance to, yeah, ever had the chance to kind of live with in your space? Ooh, if we're talking about most expensive, it'd okay. probably be the Class A Delta preamp okay. and amp that I currently have, um, which is, is not the most expensive I've owned. But as far as like something sent to me for review, that's it's about twenty three grand for both components. Ooh. Uh, I, I I just I'll just stick with that. Okay. That's the easiest way to go because all the other things I'm thinking about aren't really review related. What about yourself, man? Well, I, I'm going to be dropping the video hopefully on Friday. Okay. Um, it's the Boulder 866. Um, Dang, look at you. I know, right? Dang. I'm, I'm moving on up. That's <laughs> um, right. Dude, it was interesting. It was yeah. an interesting experience. Uh, very flat response. Very nice. Uh -huh. Obviously, when, once people hit high end, um, and this is something I want your opinion on. Uh, uh -huh. Actually, let's go ahead and ask it right now. What is your opinion of tone control? We'll get to that in a second. Finish your thought about the boulder. Though. I'm curious. Don't leave me well, <laughs> what, I, what I learned um, from, sp I spent some time at, at Soundings Hi-Fi because I live in Denver. So uh, okay. Soundings is, is available to me to go and geek out. And I would go and I spend like hours sometimes is just talking shop with those guys. And they're, they're actually a boulder um, dealer. <clears throat> so he was able to give me a lot of insight on the 866. Um, it, it's, it's filled with features. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, it had a very flat sound, but it was very pleasant. You know, you know how some flat is kind of like just boring. Yep. This one had character to it. I paired it with uh, audience AV cables, um, which are uh, OCC copper. Uh -huh. And then I played them through a pair of Q acoustic concept 300s. So I tried to keep everything a little higher end, you know, just to, just to make sure everything, everything was, uh, was matching correctly. Oh, and, and for the source, I was using a blue sound node two I, okay. and I, I did test the node two I, um, straight from, you know, actually I had to get these uh, special, 
Okay, so here's the thing with the boulder. It only accepts spade connectors for the speakers. So mm. that, that was a task. And then, because everything I own is banana plug. And then it has, it doesn't have any RCA inputs. So I had to get uh, XLR to RCAs to test out the Blue Sound Node 2i's DAC in comparison to the DAC inside of the boulder. The boulder, boulder DAC just blew it away. You know, that, that, that's just, that was expected though. Um, uh, the unit itself comes in at about 14 grand. Um, I liked it. I liked it. It looked really good. It, yeah. You know how Boulder has that really unique, uh, you know, aesthetic to it with the heat sinks on the side. And uh, I'm just glad it wasn't the big one, the one where you need like four people to lift it. But um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. But I've always used tone control in the past because uh -huh. I've never really been exposed to high end audio in my own space. I, I've listened to it at shows and I enjoy it at shows and stuff like that, but I've never had, and I'm just being honest, I've never had a really you know expensive piece of equipment in my own space. So I'm noticing that once you get into that realm, matching products is a lot more important than worrying about tone control or anything like that. Matching the right, you know, amplifier with the right speakers with the right cables with the right this and that how do you feel about that do you think i'm i'm on the right track with that i think both ways of you know going about finding a solution that makes you happy or valid i mean i know it's a safe answer but you know my experience kind of circles back around to that quite frankly because you know my preference my personal bias is towards components that do not have tone controls right purest mm -hmm. pieces where every single thing inside of that box is meant to be a number one, a very short and simple signal path. Mm -hmm. Then number two, the components that are in the signal path are of the highest quality and consistent in quality and just do their job exceptionally well. No features, no built-in DAC, no built-in this, no built-in that, just a purpose-built high-end piece. Mm -hmm. That is where my bias errs towards and what I vastly prefer over these you know, high-feature components that I tend to review. Having said that, when it comes to tone controls, I respect them a lot more than I did because, you know, back in the day, even when using more expensive components, you know, like Macintosh and whatnot that had tone controls, you could always hear an immediate degradation in sound quality, like the second you engaged them. Like it just, we went down a couple notches right there just by having that circuit, that extra circuit in the path. And it was, it was usually not subtle to my ears. Now, back, granted, we're talking about when my ears were a lot younger, <laughs> but back then I just, I, I immediately had a bias against them because of that. I respected why people liked them, but it wasn't really my thing. But recently I've noticed that manufacturers, doesn't really matter the brand, have become very good at deploying tone controls in a way that's not invasive to the sound to where it does what you want it to do. It's the same presentation, but if you want to attenuate treble, I mean, like turn it down a little bit, you can do that, and the sound is the same, just with less treble. Nothing else is really compromised. Granted, I've found that you still need to pay money to get there. Mm. You know, this doesn't come with the sub thousand dollar integrated, in my experience, or preamps. You do have to spend that money. But um, I find that even when I have tone controls, I don't use them, even mm. though sometimes it can be nice to have. Um, but I know plenty of people who do use them. Like it's a feature that they value, and it's just a part of the experience because. They don't want to do what you just said. Even though they're enthusiasts, they don't want to mess with, 
God, I got to try this amplifier and then that amplifier and maybe that preamp and these cables and that and this, that. They almost want to get off the bandwagon and just get out of that neuroses that comes along with sometimes getting too obsessive about the process of just assembling a system. And right. that is what tone controls can oftentimes really do as a solution is just less than what it even sounds like and more of just what it does for your mind. Like, look, I'm listening to a horrible recording. Let's let's adjust accordingly <laughs> and make it sound approachable. I don't have to buy any new gear or new speakers. I can just twist a few knobs and it's there. I get the utility. So that's why, you know, going full circle here, I, I get both approaches. I'm a purist, but mm -hmm. I totally understand the people who don't feel the same way I do and value tone controls. Now, uh, shit audio has uh, what they call the, what, the Loki? Yeah. That, that's a dedicated tone control. Um I haven't had any experience with shit. Um, I'm actually going to be interviewing one of the owners uh, in the upcoming weeks um, nice. in, in, a, in a forum kind of like this. So I'm going to learn more about it, you know, and I think that they had, they definitely have an advantage because being a direct seller, they don't have, there's no middleman so they can charge a little less for their products, which is cool for the, for the public. Um, However, they, they, they have an interesting uh, set of offerings that uh, have you ever had any experience with their stuff? Yes. Yes. I mean, at one point, you know, they were a competitor. So, oh, yeah. okay. I mean, by competitor, I mean, to beat the living, you know, what out of us in terms of units sold, but that's okay. Still a competitor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was very familiar with their entire portfolio, but not so much recently. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while since I've heard. Any of their yeah, it's, they've been kind of quiet recently. I'm not sure what, what they got going on, but, uh, you know, hoping, hoping for the best, you know, I know a lot of, uh, audio companies are actually doing kind of well during, during these times, um, because a lot of people are just buying up stuff because they're stuck at home and they want to listen to music and, and rock out. But, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of companies are hurting because of this, uh, mainly the mom and pop, you know, uh, hi-fi stores, stuff like that. So, yeah. um, now, where you live, do you have a hi-fi store that you go to and visit regularly and kind of geek out? Or No. No? <laughs> There's almost nothing here. So, you know, and this kind of correlates with what I said earlier. Like, just I understand this position, the position that so many people are in. Hmm. You're so excited. There's so many great options out there to choose from. And all of them, for the most part, are genuinely good. It may not be to your taste, but... The, the whole benefit is to just go to a place to where you can just sit down or the whole benefit of a retailers, you can just go somewhere and at least experience some of this gear and hopefully a nice encouraging atmosphere from somebody else who's just as into it as you are mm -hmm. and to help with making an important purchasing decision. But the reality is unless you live in a large metropolitan area, like in North America, or unless you're just lucky enough, just, fortunate enough to just happen to live in an area where there's at least a couple of dealers around you, quality dealers. I mean, most of us are doing the same thing. We're mm -hmm. relying on, you know, the, the opinions and the information of other individuals who have the experience that we wish we had. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, no, there's, there's, we had one fairly decent, like traditional brick and mortar retailer in my region. It was about an hour away. And they shut down their shop because it was in a pretty bad location. They got broken into so many times, right? Mm. So um, they made it kind of an, an in-home dealer situation. And of mm. course, you can't just walk into somebody's home. So yeah, it's I haven't been there in like 10 years or to that yeah. retailer. Are you planning on going to any shows this year? 
No. No. Okay. So you're staying safe, staying home? It's safe. And plus, you know, I'm not sure I'm the best personality for trade shows. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to stay away. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to at least go to uh, RMAF, which is uh, about, you know, 20 minutes away from my house, which is. Oh, yeah. Super lucky Rocky Mountain Audio Fest. I yeah. went in 2019 and that was one of my first trade shows I went to and I enjoyed it. You know, they had a, a ton of, a ton of, uh, you know, uh, people that participated and, and vendors and stuff. The only thing I thought was that's not kind of fair to the, to the product is that it's inside of a, a ho- small hotel room. Mm-hmm. There's no real opportunity unless you have one of the big, huge rooms. There's no real opportunity to to really, really enjoy a piece of equipment in that kind of tight space. And then you're not in the, the seats, how they're set up. You're not really, you're not in that sweet spot. You know, I don't know. There, there's a lot to it that, you know, I wish I was just there alone by myself <laughs> without anybody else there. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's, 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 it was a good experience. And I went to, I went to CDA as well, but that wasn't really my jam because I was more integrator stuff and home right. stuff. And I mean, that's all cool and everything, but. I don't know. That's, it's not really my jam, but, but yeah, that's a, that's a shame that you don't want to go to trade shows, man. Cause that's what I, I figured we could have a beer and hang out and, and talk some audio. <laughs> no, no, man. So, you know, trade shows, it's funny. You should mention that, you know, I, I love trade shows, right. And I'm a big advocate for them, but it's more for the social aspect. It's more mm-hmm. an opportunity to meet some of the people who create this stuff, to have conversations with individuals who, Otherwise, you may not have access to to uh, just be around a bunch of other people like you. People who are crazy enough to love music so much that they're willing to invest their time, energy, money, and all of this into just the process of just listening to music. Oftentimes yeah. alone in a dark room. <laughs> but um, it's the one time where you can kind of crawl out of your shell and just be with your own kind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the sound of the show, that's what I've always said. Like You don't go for the sound. Like a lot of people go because they can't experience a lot of this gear in a dealership showroom. This in a lot of people's minds, this is my opportunity to do it. This is where I can hear a lot of the consumer direct brands next to like, you know, the other brands I've heard of the big expensive systems, the not so expensive systems. This is where I get to figure it all out. And while it can definitely provide value, like you may hear something you just connect with and that's really important, right? It is. But a lot of people that I've, come across tend to treat these shows like it is the definitive de facto demo like they've just heard all that this system can or these components are capable of doing and it's like no it's like just imagine this for a second imagine that somebody told you hey you you've got to pack up this system you know this system that you spent years or however amount of time like piecing together and trying to find that best spot in the room and the best this that and the other you got to pick that up you got to take it to a hotel room all right, you got to ship it all the way to a hotel room, let alone Denver, like you're what, 6,000 some odd feet above sea level. Mm-hmm. So you already have that, you know, thing you're probably not used to going on. Um, now you have about 24 hours, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but you're probably going to arrive to the show a day or two before it begins. You have this amount of time to actually set it up, right, on a shared power grid with all the polarity reversals going on to deal with um and the noise on the line and all that good stuff and you basically have to set up this system to where it will sound good not just to the one guy or gal in the sweet spot but to all the people who are sitting and standing off to the side who are crammed in the hallway like just barely outside the door 
who are trying to just get an impression. And those people, make no mistake, they're going to judge your system, even when they're standing in the doorway. They're going to make, and they're going to go online. They're going to go to different forums. Yeah, I heard it. It sucked. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. that's what you got to do. You got to put yourself in that position. It's not, not easy. I'm starting and to realize I, yeah, I'm starting yeah. to realize now why Wilson Audio did not turn their their gear on. They just had it there for for show. Uh, <laughs> normally, to be fair, normally they either let the retailers or sometimes they themselves will, you know, set up something. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's times where it just makes more sense to just have a static display. But again, you know, I don't say that to discourage people. It's just go in there with some applied common sense. Is all you're not mm -hmm. really going to hear what this stuff is truly capable of. And some and sometimes. The reverse is true. Sometimes you may hear a demo at a trade show and it will sound better than it will in your own home mm -hmm. because the people who set it up are really freaking smart. You know, and I use two examples. One is MagnaPen. When they debuted the LRS, this mm -hmm. was at Expona a couple of years ago or a few years ago. Um, not just anybody could walk into the room. It was a very limited access room and they had it set up to where there was only a few chairs, right? I mean, they wanted to make sure the demo was impactful. So, um, and what they did is they had the speakers like four feet out into the wall, maybe even closer to five feet out from the rear wall. They had expensive, high powered electronics, basically the kind of situation that almost no consumer who buys an LRS is going to be able to replicate. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, the sound for, you know, when you just focused on the price of the speakers and the sound is like, geez, crazy good. And ELAC did, I wouldn't say a similar approach, but they did something again, most consumers won't do. We're gonna take these bookshelf speakers or towers, we're gonna put them way out into the room further than any normal consumer will. We're going to attach it to, they started off this way, uh, they started using audio alchemy gear mm, during the first few years. So it was about what, $6,000 worth of components and it was the same 10 demo tracks just on loop over and over and over again. But, you know, Andrew Jones knows what he's doing. It's a good mm -hmm. setup. So, you know, when you listen to it in that curated environment, it's like, geez, it's so good. And it's like, you're just, you're not going to get that type of sound at home. Right. Odds are likely. Not to say you <laughs> won't like it. It's just, this is like the best it has to offer. So I want to mention that just because I don't want to just completely sell this narrative that sound at trade shows is always going to be bad. Sometimes mm -hmm. it could be really good. But again, just go into it with common sense. You're getting a taste for things. Maybe you'll connect with something. Maybe you won't. But try not to be too harsh on the judgments. Go there for fun. Right. Go there to talk to people. Drink some beers with uh, yeah. guys like Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that because I I experienced both where I, I did hear certain systems that sounded way better there than they do, you know, than I've had them here or vice versa. And yeah, it's more of a social thing, you know, it's, it's, it's a time to hang out with, uh, with industry professionals that you probably know. It's a small community. I've learned that real quick that this industry is a small community. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about and get your opinion on too, is what we do, uh, what we offer the public is, is very, it's, it's important. Um, but I've noticed that there are other colleagues out there that uh, I feel can go to the highest bidder, you know what I'm saying, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that people need to be aware of who is, not who personally, but they need to be aware that um, oftentimes when we're giving a, a, a review of a product, 
you know, most of us are doing it with good intention and with a completely unbiased, you know, no bias whatsoever. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about people that do have a bias because of whether they work for the company or not? How does that affect the landscape for people just trying to learn about a certain product? Do you feel that's more of a disservice to, to the public? It's a good question. I feel that everybody has a bias first and foremost, and it's more or less who allows the bias to dictate what it is they have to say. And when they do say something, how clear are they about their bias? Mm -hmm. You know, there's some uh, people on this platform, like, uh, let me actually pick an example here. Uh, Thomas from Thomas and Stereo. Mm -hmm. In the past, he was very good about saying, I like a V-curve presentation. Give me a lot of treble, give me a lot of bass, and I'm happy. And then I think it was a set of Rogers speakers that he reviewed where he finally learned what good tone was. And that kind of changed <laughs> things. But he's explained as much to his audience, right? And he always kind of informs them that, look, I'm not trying to give you the most accurate review. This is just my journey. This is my take on it. And this is my bias. That's why I have this emotional reaction, whether it's good, bad, or neutral. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a fine example of where it's okay to have a very specific listening bias and to let it guide what you have to say. So long as you make it clear that this is my channel, this is my journey, this is what it's about, you're along for the ride and I hope you have fun. I think that's personal. That's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. The only time I take contention with it is when somebody has a very clear bias and maybe they're not even conscious or aware of it, but it clearly has a dramatic impact on what they say while positioning themselves as a clean cut, unbiased individual. You know, personally, my advice to the audience to just, you know, cut right to it. As a member of the viewing or reading audience, whether you're watching YouTube videos or you're reading articles, unless you have a tremendous amount of experience under your belt and you have access to the engineers who build this stuff, who trust you enough to open up to you and to let you know who's right and who's wrong with their summaries, you, the audience, you're never going to know. You don't know who's right and who's wrong, who's biased, who's unbiased, who may have financial incentive, who may not have financial incentive. You're not going to know. Sure. You won't. All you can really do is follow who it is you feel you trust. You follow who entertains you, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd say that if you do accrue enough experience, you can begin to relate what a reviewer has to say about a product that you're familiar with and you know pin it against your own and through time you'll be able to say this is somebody who tends to experience the same things i do i'm going to lend them credibility right I, I i'm beginning to trust what it is they have to say because we're usually on the same page and sometimes the opposite is true sometimes there's a reviewer you don't agree with them with almost anything they at all if they love a product odds are you're going to hate it if they think the product has a lot of trouble odds are you're going to think it's smooth as heck and vice versa right Right. They're just as reliable because if you know that if they love something cool, that's off my checklist now. <laughs> well, so it's unfortunately, it takes experience to figure out who out of all these people on this platform that you connect to the most and you would trust to make a purchasing decision because all this other stuff about bias, who's getting what behind the scenes, mm -hmm. it almost doesn't matter. And you'll never know anyways. Right. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons I, I gravitated to, to your channel, um, right off the bat is because when I do watch your videos, you're, you're very knowledgeable when it comes to stuff, 
you know, the, some of the words you use, I'm like, dude, what, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> and I have to have to look it up and I'll be like, okay, so that's what he thinks. But, um, but yeah, you, you seem like you, you've been in this, doing this for a long time and you, if I feel that you have a really good grasp of the, not only the, the product, but the, the whole ecosystem of, of audio in general, you know, and, and, and that really shows with your videos and your knowledge base, you know? So I, I know, I know you're weird about, uh, compliments, but I'm just yeah, throwing them out there. I'll do better with that. <laughs> throwing them out there. Um, and I know this is kind of a, a weird platform for you as well. Cause you're probably not used to doing the live thing or the, the pre-recorded thing, but uh, I did want you for a live stream, you know, and I, I will convince you someday to come on a live stream with me, <laughs> but, uh, cause the, the questions sometimes can be really funny. You know, um, I've never, yeah. had a, I guess I've never had a bad experience with a live stream. I've never had anybody troll or, or do anything you know disrespectful oh give us some time uh, <laughs> we work really hard you know and, and i don't know if a lot of people understand that it, it's it's a huge process and i think i actually learned my lesson when i did the boulder uh video is because i wanted to be so prepared for that video and so you know i that's why i went to my local hi-fi shop i contacted the uh you know, the, one of the product managers there at, at Boulder, I, I made sure I had all my I's dotted and T's crossed because once you enter into the, into the realm of high-end audio, that invites the, the, the people that are really, really critical, you know, overly critical. So if I say one wrong thing or I make a mistake or, or whatnot, most of the audiences that we have, most of the audience will forgive that because they, they, probably wouldn't even know but the ones that are just there to make sure you don't say something like that that and that's what gets to me is because it's like give me a break you know i'm trying my best i'm trying to bring you know content to the public that's digestible enjoyable and informative so that way they can make a, a smart purchasing decision in the future or just check out something that they normally wouldn't you know wouldn't experience you know from a guy that We'll give it to them more, more or less kind of straight, you know, very, very dumbed down for sure. I mean, I don't, I'm still learning the glossary of, of audiophile terms, but <laughs> I, I, I try to make it as digestible as possible for people because I, that's how I like it, you know, and that's how, why I like watching your show aside from having to have a glossary with me. But, um, you know, you, you are very digestible because you, you're very honest. Now, here's an issue I've come across also that I kind of want your opinion on is that, um, what happens? Well, I know what, I know what you do, but <laughs> I've been very nervous to receive a product and absolutely hate it uh -huh. and, and think it's just total, 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 just bad, bad stuff. Uh -huh. How would you handle that with, 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 uh, not hurting the relationship that you have with that company? You know, uh, I'm kind of scared of that because I, I have a feeling that someday I'm going to receive something. I'm going to be like, okay, I can, I can, I can't even just slightly criticize this. I, this is just not good. Yep. What do you think? I think the best way to handle something like that. So the, there's an industry practice, right? And you're probably already aware of this, which is a lot of reviewers, regardless of the platform they're on, if they don't like something, they just let the manufacturer know, I don't like it. Here's why get it out of my house, please. Mm -hmm. You're not getting a review. And the mindset or the justification for this is twofold, one of which I think is valid. The other one is questionable. 
the valid reason that nobody can argue against is I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my time, especially if you're the kind of person who creates these detailed, you know, this detailed analysis. It's like, I'm going to spend 10, 15, whatever minutes, you know, uh, on camera in my case, going on about this product. And, or if you're writing a review, basically there's a whole lot of time that goes into this process and all anybody's really going to pay attention to are the two, you know, perhaps damning criticisms that I have for the product, you know, which are the main reasons why I don't like it. I'm not going to waste my time. Just Mm. take it back. I have better things to do with my life. That's valid. I think that's perfectly fair. The other thing, though, is a little bit more in this gray area, which is, as you said, relationships. A lot of people, you know, develop relationships with the individuals they work with, you know, behind the scenes, whether it's PR agents, whether it's somebody within the company um, who's not like a, a marketing team or whatever. And it can be awkward if, you know, you go and you basically say, guys, this product is like so subpar. Don't go out and get it. Yeah, that might make things pretty darn awkward. So what I tend to do anymore is I let a company know before they send something to me that I want to make sure that, you know, what I'm experiencing is in line with the known and measured performance envelope of the product, right? Mm -hmm. But anymore, I let them know that you're taking a risk with me. This isn't going to be a safe bet, you know, like it is with most, you know, reviewers. If there's something wrong, and I feel there's a huge uh, issue with the product, whether it's functionality, whether it's something to do with the performance, I'm going to mention it without a filter. I'm not going to beat you to death on it unless it deserves it, but I'm also not going to hold back. If you consent to that, we'll move forward. But the important thing here is to front load that. Mm -hmm. To front load the discussion, that way there's, there's no surprises. There's no feeling of... I don't want to say betrayal on their end, but there's just no awkward anything. They know what they're getting into. And the companies who are okay with that, believe me, they will actually, in many respects, they'll respect you more. Mm. As long as they feel that your criticism is fair and true, true to your opinion, and maybe even it's true, period. Like they screwed up. Right. Well, I've I've noticed that the, the two videos that I've gotten the most dislikes on Mm-hmm. have been the two videos where I actually um, do mention a couple of, uh, well, I criticize the product a little bit, not in a bad way. I mm-hmm. just kind of let people know here, here's what I, what I thought you know, is an opportunity for this product. And one was the, obviously the Cap LS 50 meta where I, you know, mentioned that the base response wasn't exactly what I had anticipated, nor what I usually expect from a, a, a stand mount okay. and the clips uh, fives. Um, uh-huh. uh, I just felt that the high end was a little bit tinny, um, a little harsh, a little fatiguing. Yeah. And, and that's how I felt. That was my opinion. And I, you know, I, I let them know that overall the product was pretty cool, yeah. but you know, there, there was these, these shortcomings and, and it wasn't a bash or anything at, at all to either company because I, I respect both of those companies very, very well. However, those are the ones where I've gotten the most kickback because people will leave in the comments, well, I thought the base was great or I thought this was fine. I, blah, sure. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, okay, great. That's their, that's your opinion, you know, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I don't know. I still have that, uh, that fear that I'm going to come across that product where I'm going to be like, Hey guys, you know, uh, it's not working out. I don't want to give a bad review. If I know if there's nothing I can really say good about the product. I mean, there's one thing 
about kind of, I guess, I guess, uh, flipping it and just making it more into a feature about the product, but then it wouldn't really be a review. You know, it wouldn't be a, an unbiased review. It would be, oh, I'm just featuring this product. Look how pretty it is. You know, it is, it, the, the, the highs are really nice, but I'm not going to say anything else about the rest of it because the rest of it's trash. So I don't want to do that either. You know, so that, that's always been something on my mind where I don't know, I know the time's going to come, you know, where I'm going to have to send something back, but, um, does it, it doesn't happen very often though. Does it? I was about to say, I have two, two thoughts on this, right? The first is that the odds of you coming across a genuinely, genuinely poor product now is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. It's just genuinely very slim. Ironically enough, I think where you increase the odds of running into disappointing, mediocre, or problematic performance is when you actually start going up in price and you start picking some of the more esoteric gear out there. You know, that's when things can get a little bit shady and you may quickly find yourself in a position going, I mean, they want how much for this? Oh, God. Okay, here we go. And now that kind of sucks because this is usually a very small company and a really bad review could be devastating. I mean, it, it's taking food off the table. That is when you're actually in this like almost moral like, oh, God, why, 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 why? What? Do you feel the audience deserves to know? That's where I was going. So it kind of goes like this. If it's more of an opinion based, right? If it's, if you can say that the product doesn't have anything, you know, horribly wrong with it, like let's just say you receive an integrated amp, the functionality is fine, right? There's nothing that is horribly off, like the DAC cuts out or like the input doesn't respond very well, or there's something about it functionality wise that's just, it's off, man. And maybe you communicate with the manufacturer, you give them a chance, send me another one. And the second one does the same thing. Okay, well, now we have we have an issue, right? This is just definitely the component. So um, I think in those case scenarios, yeah, the audience definitely deserves to know, right? They just do. I think anything other than that is just flat out, like whose team are you on? It begs the question, like, what is your credibility? Who are you really in it for? Are you in it for yourself and to be buddy-buddy with some companies? Or are you trying to provide a service to the people who watch your videos. I mean, that's what it really boils down to. But if it's more a matter of taste, like, yeah, I don't know, you know, to, to the Cap Ellis 50s, there's not enough bass. <laughs> like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> just say your opinion then. Not enough bass for me. You guys may feel differently. I'm used to monitors that output more heft down low. Now, granted, they cut off at like, what, 79 hertz or something. So mm. it's not like, they advertise as delivering a lot of bass. Sure. But sure. that's that's one thing. But if uh, there's an actual, like, legit problem, like, dude, there's no mid-range in the speaker. Like, no mid is gone. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. And you look at uh, maybe some independent measurements, maybe the product's been, you know, reviewed before, and, yep, indeed, there's, like, a giant dip. Bruh, just say it. Just say it. Yeah. And if the company, let me put it this way, if the company that you're working with can't handle either the truth and or an honest and qualified opinion, you don't need to work with them again. And as long as you front load, this is important get it in writing. As long as you front load this, that what you're about to receive is my honest opinion. I guarantee nothing to you, but an honest opinion, good or bad, however you want to word it. And you have them co-sign on that. Well, that's your legal protection that. And whenever you say, in my opinion, there's, there's no ground to go off of anyways, legally. But as long as you do that, your own personal bases are covered. And again, any company who has a, 
a, a negative reaction to something like that and they want to cut you off, let them just let mm -hmm. them screw it, move on. It's not a big deal. I mean, you were right though. I mean, the, the, the chances of receiving something that's completely horrible, 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 it, it, probably slim to none. You know, I, I think we, I mean, I've, I have, you know, felt in the past where I have heard speakers that were astronomically priced and I'm like, um, I have a pair of, you know, Dolly Oberon threes right here that are like 700 bucks that blow the, you know, the socks off of something I just heard that's about three or $4,000. So sure. that's going to happen, you know, because a lot of people have the mindset that, or a lot of companies, some companies have the mindset that if we price it high enough, people will just buy it no matter mm -hmm. what it is, because the, the people perceive uh, an expensive price as they perceive it as value for the product. They perceive it as they're buying something that's high end and high quality. And yeah. sometimes that's not the case, you know, uh, and, and it's unfortunate that some companies do that, but some do most don't to be fair, but sure. Yeah, some do, but I don't know. That's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to, I'm curious about because this is going to be, I think this is one of my Holy grails, my Holy grail moments is that I really want the Yamaha AS1200. I want it. I want it and I want it. Okay. I want it because it looks cool. I want yep. it because it has cool, uh, it has the uh, the VU meters. It has everything I want out of a, it looks vintage, but obviously it's new. And I know you have it some, somewhere, somewhere it's right somewhere there. It's somewhere in the black background, man. It's somewhere right there. Yep. What do you think about it? What's your opinion? <laughs> I've actually done two videos on that unit now. But, um, you know, my opinion is number one, the, the build quality is outstanding for the money. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at it from more the traditional perspective, I just invested nearly $3,000 into an integrated amplifier. I want some heft, man. It has the wood panel sides with the, you know, the lacquer on it. Mm. It has the, uh, you know, the big old transform with the big old filter caps on the inside. Nichicon little capacitors like everywhere. Like this is an amp that when you take the lid off, you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. It's just old school <laughs> awesome, right? Now the 1200 does feature a mixture of plastic and metal uh, pieces on the on the front plate, so it's not like this pure metal beast, but it's mostly a metal beast. And uh, yeah, no, it's 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 from a from just a hands-on perspective and a visual perspective, I, th I think it's fantastic. As far as sound, it is a polarizing component, right? It is. It has that kind of, you know, I wouldn't say V-curve thing going on, but it's definitely pushed up in the upper mid-range, lower treble. And as per the engineer, it's meant to sound exciting. This isn't meant to be linear, right? You're not getting a neutral listening experience out of this component. It's meant to have that kind of warmth within the uh, upper bass, lower mid-range, and to have that, you know, kind of push up top that creates a sound that you're either going to fall in love with or you're just going to think it's too much of a good thing, almost like clips in a way. Okay. And, uh, but I will say, I mean, at first, personally, I didn't really care for it. Like, I remember going to one reviewer who had the 2200, and we both laughed and said the same thing at almost the exact same time. Like, yep, it's a Yamaha. <laughs> and almost that it's <laughs> look, it is what it is. You want a refined audio piece. Like you don't buy a Yamaha. You want that fun, big sound. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but interestingly enough, through time, be it through break-in, which the company did support, but regardless, be it through break-in, be it through adaption, whichever is occurring, whichever you believe, I don't really care. 
uh, it did settle down to my ears and I became more climated to the sound in a way to where I actually genuinely enjoy it and like enjoyed listening to it, which is why I have it hooked up right now to some speakers. So it's, something that, you, it's yeah. something that you, you use normally now on the regular, uh, for review purposes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, which brings me to one of my final questions is okay. how do you consume content? Are you more of a physical media guy? Are you more of a streamer or are you kind of like a blend and balance of both where you do enjoy, you know, the, the imperfections of vinyl and, you know, the consistency <laughs> of CDs and then the, 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 you know, ease of use of, of streaming. What, what's, what's your pick your poison. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to fire this one at you. Okay. But, um, for me, it's, it's two things. Number one, I love vinyl. I don't use vinyl, which is so crazy because I, I love being hands-on with the music and the process, but it's more just a limitation of space than anything else. Um, so I predominantly use CDs for my main system. In fact, that's all I use. And it's partially because I have a CD player that I love. I love the sound of it, and I haven't found anything I like better in any way, shape, or form. So that is a big reason why I continue to use CDs. Now, one could argue on a technical level, I stream all the time and I stream way more than I do, you know, listening to music on the big rig because I'm in front of my computer like I am right now mm. all the time, like a humiliating amount of time. And I'm oftentimes on YouTube and I'm on different platforms like that. And I'll have music playing either, you know, in the background as I'm doing other things or when I'm sitting here and you know, writing emails or whatever. Uh, and that, of course, is technically streaming, maybe not wirelessly, but I am streaming the music to my computer. So I would say probably a mixture of both. Now, uh, what about you, man? No, you have to share with me what kind of what CD player that is, because there, there is a rhyme and reason to that question. So what okay. CD player are you using? So that is uh, from almost now defunct company called AMR or Abingdon Music Research. And okay. it's called the CD seven 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 or triple seven for short i am gonna write that down because uh because very important reason so i recently released i'm a cd fanatic so okay. i recently released a an article uh three days ago that has gone absolutely berserk and viral all over the place i've already gotten like thirty thousand views on it dude awesome and, congratulations do people are agreeing with me because it's yeah. it, it's um kind of I guess uh, motivating people to create a resurgence for the for the compact disc, not only because uh, obviously the nostalgia and you know the uh, you know all that other stuff that goes sure. along with it, but mainly the same reason why people are into vinyl. It, it's kind of a ceremony to to do all that. However, uh, the music industry uh, artists are not getting paid very much. They're getting paid a, a portion of a penny for. Sure. The, for their for their streams you know on spotify on on all the, all the all the platforms they don't pay very much but when you sell a cd you make a considerable amount more especially indie artists which all they're really paying for is a manufacturing they don't have a middleman so i think there's a lot of benefits and i i listed like at least five of them in the article and it, like i said it's been very well received and it kind of gives me hope that you know the the cd can have a resurgence however i know that you know um, there's only a couple people that even, I don't know if they even still make the, the actual, um, thing is Sony Phillips. And then, uh, uh, T, 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 do you pronounce it T or T, -ac? I 
I call it TAG. I, I'm even, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. But I know those yeah. are the only two that still, you know, that, that a lot of these CD, um, a lot of these companies that create CD transports and CD players use their stuff. Um, do you feel that there's a, a future for CDs? Like, do you want there to be one? I mean, realistically, I know streaming has been the, the, the big mother load and, and it has, you know, taken a lot out of that. But what do you think? I mean, number one, I would love it if CDs came back into popularity, right? I would, but I'm from that generation, right? It's a generational thing. Like that's what I kind of sort of grew up with. Mm -hmm. So, um, so on a very selfish level, I'd like to see it come back and, you know, for the artist that produced music, I mean, they still didn't make a tremendous amount of money off of CD sales, but it was a lot more than what they get off of streaming by far. Mm -hmm. Um, do I think it'll happen though? Yes, we'll probably see a bump and uh, interest in CDs and uh, the players and so on and so forth, right? I mean, I think even some examples would be Leak has their uh, CD transport they released. And I know they were thinking in the beginning, like, eh, it's probably not going to be too popular. Actually, it's been selling very, very well, like well beyond their expectations. And it's like an $800 or whatever transport. <laughs> right so uh and even i didn't expect that i was like ah oh, man you can get a lot of good cd players for around the same price so there's right. clearly interest people are clearly paying for it but on the other hand also on a selfish note i kind of like the fact that cds aren't as popular because even though they're not being produced now with a lot of music that's being released usually it's just going to vinyl or to streaming but that kind of makes existing cds super cheap to access find them on the used market for cheap Dude, yeah. it's, it's like right before vinyl. So I was just getting into vinyl right when vinyl started to make a comeback. So I was, I just missed that opportunity where you can go into like a thrift store or better yet, a record store and pick out records for like next to nothing, like five bucks. No, as soon as it hit every record, even use records like 20, 30, 40, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of yeah. like going to stores now and picking out $3 CDs. Now, do you feel a lot of people are getting into vinyl because it's cool to get into vinyl, not because they like this, the ceremonious, you know, uh, process of, 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 you know, putting the, the, the vinyl on the record and doing this and that and cleaning it and everything. A lot of people are into that. A lot of people are into the, you know, obviously the ones that are really diehard are into the, the small imperfections, the snap, crackle, pop, all that stuff. But do you feel like there's a, there's a, like a cult following for vinyl that just likes it because it's cool. I think a lot of it could be because it's cool, but I, you know what? I don't have a problem with that. I mean, <laughs> that's partially why we're having this conversation, right? We have a conversation right. about audio because it's to us, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were just only, you know, music fans, we'd probably have some little portable whatever, and that'd be good enough for us, but we like the equipment. We like how it looks. We like the history. We like how it sounds. It's to us is cool. So I wouldn't begrudge anybody for getting into vinyl because they think it's cool. And I noticed that with humans, oftentimes as we evolve and tech evolves and things become a little bit more impersonal, maybe more convenient in how we access it and the library in which we have access to in terms of music, it's it's the the convenience and the opportunity to explore more music is just it's, like it's never been before, right? There's so much right. content available to you within seconds. But as we go further and further into that direction, I think there's almost this innate desire to, in some respects, connect 
with a process that's the exact opposite of that, something that's truly analog. There's artwork that goes along with the music. And oftentimes our brains tend to associate that music with the album artwork, if you're familiar with it. And you hold this big, basically like cardboard picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a process of taking the record out and actually going to the turntable and just even setting up the turntable after you buy it. And you know, just looking at physical media spinning while you're listening to it. I mean, it's just a completely different experience. And I think it's for people who want to more directly connect with the music. So basically audiophiles, they may not even know they're audiophiles, but they clearly care about how they experience the music. So ultimately, yeah, I think a lot of them are doing it because it's cool, but vinyl also has a unique sound. Whether or not you think it's better or worse, it doesn't matter. It still has a unique sound. And I don't know. I, I, for one, I think it's awesome. I thought it was going to be just this one or two year bump, this little fashion thing going on from hipsters, again, late 2000s era stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, it's going to die out anytime now. Do Dude, it. yeah. Did, didn't well, vinyl sales eclipse CD? Yeah. Like, it, it's still going. Ago, yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Uh, CD sales are 15, I think, percent of what they were in the 90s. It, it, it's, it's, it's bad, man. It's yeah. bad. And, and the thing that sucks is that the other day I was like, uh, I was listening to, uh, I think it was the score or something on, uh, on title. I, I use title as my main, uh, streaming service. Uh, I just feel mm -hmm. it's, it's consistent. It's good quality. Um, but, uh, I do have a blue sound no two I that, that I use uh, oftentimes for, for reviews and stuff like that. However, I do, yeah, I do prefer the CD, but yeah, when I went to go look on Amazon, I'm like, okay, I want to buy the scores album because I, there's several songs on there. I like that. I would enjoy listening to the entire album, you know, through and through not available. So they're just uh, stream only or buy the MP3 or whatever. And yeah, burn your own, I suppose. But, uh, well, that man, I feel it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know, and I actually, I had a, uh, a recording artist, a uh, guy named city wolf, uh, on, on my stream not too long ago. And I asked him, I'm like, okay, so is your new album going to be on CDs? Like probably not. You know, probably not because it's a, it's a huge process to have it all manufactured and get ready. And then what happens if we just sit on it, you know, and just, just, we wasted all that money on CDs that nobody's buying. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's a, that's a reason why I think they, it should be a resurgence, but I think a lot of people do enjoy the, the used market. You know, they do enjoy being able to buy their favorite CD from when they were a kid for, you know, a buck or two or maybe five at the very most. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah, I mean, you were right on that. So I, I mean, I think you're pretty close in age with me. I, well, I'm probably a little bit older than you, but uh, I'm 38. So I don't know. You probably grew up around the same time frame I did. Yeah. And um, uh, so you know, we we remember those days of of you know opening the opening the CD, you know, and and getting it ready, even cassettes, dude. But I, don't, I, I know for a fact cassettes will never see a resurgence, unfortunately. But <laughs> who knows, man? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real to real. That that's kind of that has its little cult following as well, you know. People like reel to reel. I I, I don't understand it, but uh, uh, people people seem to like the sound that it produces and and stuff like that. It looks cool, right? Yeah, it looks it looks cool, looks cool in the picture. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know it's been over an hour, but dude, it was so easy to talk to you, man. So I I thought that was rad. I would love to have you back, especially uh, at, on a live stream. Hopefully someday. Uh, that way we can, we can, we can heckle the, we can heckle the crowd. I was about to say, maybe you don't want me on a live stream, dude. <laughs> great, I love your brutal honesty though. That's the thing. You're brutally honest. And I, I think that's important. That's important, especially in this industry. A lot of people sugarcoat, 
you know, yeah. and, and I, I, I respect you for that. So, so yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate your time, dude. Hey man, um, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been dude. All right, guys. So to check out zero fidelity, I'm going to go ahead and leave all his information in the description below. Make sure to go subscribe to his channel and like all his videos. Thanks guys for watching. I'll see you guys next week for another edition of hi-fi hour.